Good morning. Good to see you again. You know, our lives are often interrupted by the unexpected. Uh, we plan to do something, but we are interrupted by something else. Uh, most of us dislike interruptions, but uh, can we really avoid it? Uh, let me tell you the story of one such uh, interruption, a most unusual one. And uh, it's a true story, and I have the permission of uh, Rachel and her mother to share this story. Some years ago, Rachel was going along with a young man from her church in Malaysia. One evening, Rachel and her parents, together with her boyfriend, uh, went out for dinner. After dinner, they decided to do some grocery shopping at a supermarket near their home. Her parents decided to walk home, and Rachel and her boyfriend uh, took the car and drove to a nearby park. Unknown to her, her boyfriend was planning to propose to her that evening. So after a short stroll at the park, he fell on his knees, offered her a ring, and said those magic words, Will you marry me? Uh, just then, Rachel's cell phone rang. It was her mother. Rachel, where are you? I need the milk to put in the fridge. Rachel said, Mommy, could you give me five minutes? No, 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 cannot, her mother insisted. You must come home now. The milk needs to go into the fridge right now. So Rachel said to her proposer, Sorry, can we pause here? I need to go home to deliver the milk to my mother. Well, that was what they did. Um, he put back the ring into his pocket. They went home to deliver the milk and then returned to the same spot to replay the proposal. Well, she accepted and uh, soon after, I had the privilege of attending their wedding and not only that, I was invited to give the exhortation. And as you guess, I spoke about interruptions and how our lives are filled with interruptions. Now, today we continue our series of sermons on the Gospel of Mark. We are now into chapter 5 of the Gospel and already we see interruptions in every chapter before it. In chapter 1, Jesus was interrupted by a man with an evil spirit when he was teaching in the synagogue. In chapter 2, Jesus interrupted the life of Levi or Matthew when he asked the tax collector to follow him. In chapter 3, Jesus was interrupted by his mother and brothers when he was teaching in a home. And in chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples were interrupted by a storm as they were sailing across the lake. And today we look at chapter 5, and again we see Jesus interrupted, interrupted by a woman with a chronic medical condition. So as we continue in the sermon series, we continue to see Jesus as Lord. Uh, we have seen Jesus as Lord over nature when he calmed a storm that threatened the lives of the disciples. We have seen Jesus as Lord over demons when he delivered a man from violence and self-destruction after a legion of demons were cast out of him. Now today, we will see Jesus as Lord over disease and death in a double miracle, the healing of a woman and the raising to life of a girl. But before we go further, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, through the preaching of your word, and by the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Jesus, Lord of disease and death. Amen. 
As we look at our passage today, I want us first of all to note the contrast between the two main characters. Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue, and a woman suffering from a chronic blood disorder. You notice that Jairus is named, but not a woman. Jairus is well known, a leader in the community, something like maybe the chairman of a board or president of a council. But a woman is unknown, unnamed, just a face in the crowd that appeared and disappeared. We are told that Jairus has a daughter. Note that the unknown and the unnamed woman is also called daughter by Jesus. In fact, one commentator said these two miracles may be uh, called the healing of two daughters. One, the daughter of Jairus, and the other, the daughter of Jesus. We will see the significance of this later on. Now, there is also a contrast between these two main characters who believed and those who did not believe, those who doubted. In fact, they are interwoven into each other. Jairus believed, and that is why he came to Jesus to ask for help. The woman believed, and that is why she came to Jesus to touch him for healing. But with each of these believing, there were those who doubted. When Jesus asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples responded by ridiculing the question, they said, so many people are touching you, and you ask who touched you? Now the disciples represented the doubting. Note also the same thing happened when Jesus went to the house of Jairus. When Jesus said, the girl is not dead, but asleep. They remember how the mourners responded by laughing at Jesus. Again, they represented the doubting. Neither the disciples nor the mourners knew what Jesus meant by what he said because they did not know Jesus for who he was. There's another group of people who belong to the doubting, the messengers who came to Jairus and told Jairus that the daughter had just died. To them, nothing more could be done. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? They drew a line for Jairus saying, it is finished. It's the end. There's nothing more you can do. There's nothing more that Jesus can do. So here we have uh, the account of this double miracle. Jesus demonstrating his power over disease, his power over death, a story of faith. And yet this story of faith is mixed with stories of doubt. As we look at the story more closely, let's bear this in mind. We're going to consider this passage according to three headings. The invitation by Jairus, the interruption by the woman, and then the intervention by Jesus. The invitation by Jairus. Firstly, let's consider the invitation by Jairus. He is the ruler of a synagogue. A synagogue in those days um, was managed by a board of elders. Uh, they saw to the upkeep of the place, uh, the roster of services, and basically smooth running of all the activities. Now, Jairus is a chairman or the president, uh, was a respected and recognized leader in the community. In today's context, you may think of someone like Elder Ho Pinky or Elder Bruce Lockhart. Now, I want us to remember that by this time, Jesus had actually fallen out of favor with the synagogues or with the official leadership of the Jewish community. He had started teaching the synagogue, but his conduct had caused these Jewish leaders to doubt his message. To them, he did not observe the Sabbath, he broke the Sabbath. He mixed with uh, tax collectors and prostitutes, and he claimed to forgive sins. 
Now, in this context, what Jairus was doing was truly an act of courage or an act of desperation. Now, he didn't care what his elders or the elders of the other synagogues would say. His concern was with his daughter. And we're told by Luke in Luke chapter 8, verse 42, that she was his only daughter. We're told also that she was only 12 years old. Now, that's the age when a girl reaches the age of accountability, a significant milestone in her life, and an important milestone also for her parents. Now, in our context, today we may think of a girl who is in her primary six uh, level, the year she would take her PSLE and uh, move on the next year to secondary school, a significant milestone for such a girl and her parents. Now, that little girl was dying, and the father was desperate. So those of us who have children, I have two, I raised two daughters and now I have two granddaughters. I can imagine if one of them was seriously sick in the ICU with all the ventilators and tubes in and out of, out of her. Now that would be a terrible condition to be, de to be in. So we can imagine that the father was desperate. No one could help him. And he saw his last hope in Jesus. He came and fell before Jesus and asked him to come to his house and lay hands on his daughter. You see, Jairus believed with all his heart that if Jesus could just do that, his precious daughter would be healed. What a model of faith. Jesus must have been encouraged by such faith. And immediately he stopped everything he was doing and went with Jairus. Now we can imagine what a boost it must have been for Jairus' faith. Jesus, the one who had given sight to the blind and made the lame walk, was coming with him to his house. Surely he would heal his precious dying daughter. But then we know that Jesus', uh, that, uh, Jesus uh, journey to the house of Jairus was interrupted. You see, Jairus' hope and faith would be challenged by several things. By interruption, by delay, and by bad news. So let's look at the interruption by the woman. First interruption. The journey to Jairus' home was interrupted by a woman coming out of nowhere. She is described to us as someone who had a medical condition with her monthly period. It was irregular and profuse, a kind of hemorrhage. It was not only a medical condition, not only a medical problem, but also a spiritual one. Because according to the law of Moses, Leviticus 15, verses 25 to 30, 33, her menstrual period and flow made her ceremonially unclean, and anyone she touched would be made unclean. It was a wretched condition to be in. No wonder she didn't dare to approach Jesus directly or openly. She did not want people to know about her condition. Yet her faith was such that she believed she could be healed simply by touching Jesus or his clothes. Now we're told that she came from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' cloak. She thought she could do it quietly and secretly. And she did it and immediately she felt healing taking place. Maybe she felt some kind of uh, electricity shooting through her body and she just felt cleansed and healed. And that was when Jesus turned around and said, Who touched my clothes? Of course, the woman knew what Jesus was talking about and who Jesus was talking about. But the disciples thought it was a ridiculous question. So many people were pressing against Jesus, crowding around him. Everybody was touching Jesus and his clothes. Perhaps the disciples were impatient. Uh, Jairus' daughter was sick and dying and they wanted Jesus to move along. 
So they ask. You see people crowding against you and even ask who touched you. Here we see again the disciples reprimanding Jesus like they did. You know, when they were caught in the storm, you remember what they said to Jesus when they found Jesus sleeping in the boat in the midst of the storm? They said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we perish? Here they are at it again. Here they say to Jesus, Look, Jesus, everyone is touching you and you ask who touched me. But the disciples failed to see the difference between crowding against Jesus and touching Jesus. There was something in the touch of the woman that made it different from the touch of all the other people. It was a touch of faith. She touched Jesus for a reason, for a purpose, in faith, for healing. Again, this is a reminder to us that while many people followed Jesus, flocked to Jesus, crowded around Jesus, not all of them had faith. Many came to see his miracles, to hear his parables, but did they really understand what Jesus was saying? Do they really know who Jesus was and why he came? I hope that if you are here today listening to my message about Jesus, you are not like the people in the crowd. I pray that each one of us will be like the woman who came not out of curiosity, looking for something interesting or entertaining to pass time, but out of a sense of need. And it's an act of faith. Would you reach out and touch the Lord, believing that it could make a difference in your life? Who touched me? Jesus asked. Notice that he, he ignored the disciples' skeptical response. We read that Jesus looked around to see who touched him. The NIV translated the verb correctly when he reads, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Why did Jesus insist that the woman identify herself? Remember, Jairus was in a hurry to get Jesus to his house to heal his daughter. The people were following Jesus, uh, the people who were following along to see what Jesus would do, they were also getting impatient. So why did Jesus allow the interruption and the delay? Well, as you understand, the delay was necessary for two reasons. One, it was to test Jairus' faith. And secondly, it was to complete the healing of the woman. If the woman had gone away without identifying herself to Jesus, the healing would only have been physical. But she needed something more. We are told that she had suffered the condition for 12 years. She had seen many doctors. She had exhausted her savings without getting any better. In fact, she was getting worse. But bear in mind that she had lived her life in secrecy and shame for all those years, feeling spiritually unclean and socially unwanted. Jesus wanted her to come out into the open. It was his way of saying to her, it's okay. It's okay now to come out of your darkness and into the light. No need to hide anymore. And that's what the woman did. Trembling, she came forward, telling the whole truth to Jesus, presumably in the hearing of all the people. Then Jesus did something which must have astonished Jairus and all those familiar with the Jewish practice of purification. You see, Jesus said to the woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Or in the NIV, be freed from your suffering. Now these words are usually spoken by the priest when someone comes for cleansing. But in this case, Jesus 
acted as priest and absolved her and told her she was now clean physically and in every other way. Now the whole episode happening before Jairus must have surprised him as a devoted Jew. You see, this woman suffering from bleeding would be unclean and anyone who touched her would become unclean. Yet Jesus was made Jesus was not made unclean by her. Instead, he in turn made her clean and pronounced her to be clean in front of everybody. Not also the title that she gave, he gave to her, daughter. Well, it reminds of how he addressed the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, son. Jesus had early on said that anyone who did the will of God was his brother, his sister, and his mother. Mark chapter 5, verse 33 to 35. Jesus redefined the spiritual family. It is not determined by blood relations. It is determined by obedience to the will of God. The woman, by her faith in Jesus and her act of faith in reaching out to touch his clothes, had done the will of God and was pronounced a member of the family by Jesus, a daughter. Now the title was also a term of endearment, of affection. The woman had felt dirty, miserable, rejected. Finally, after suffering, secret shame and utter worthlessness for so many years, someone called her daughter. Finally, peace and healing was pronounced upon her and it must have been a benediction that she would cherish for the rest of her life. Now, while all this was going on, what about Jairus? What about Jairus when all this was going on? He must have been, he must be thinking, let's get over with it. Let's get going. I'm not sure if Jairus, a man of high standing in the community, was wondering why Jesus was giving so much time and attention to a woman of no standing, someone of no standing. If he didn't entertain such thoughts, I'm sure there were some in the crowd who felt that way. Well, as a woman left, there came the messengers from Jairus' home. Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Now this question belongs to the same category as the question asked by the disciples. You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? Now such questions are asked by those who do not know Jesus. Now had they known him, they would not make such comments. Such comments cast doubt on Jesus and they cause people to have doubts. You see, Jairus came to Jesus with great faith. That faith had been affected by the delay as Jesus stopped to talk to a woman. And note how that faith was undermined by this bad news that his daughter had died. It was too late. Our faith is every day challenged by delay and disappointment over bad news. It happened to Jairus. It could happen to any one of us. It happened to the woman. She tried one remedy after another, one doctor after another, only to find the cure eluding her. And for 12 years, she hoped, but the delay and disappointment must have tested her faith. Would she ever be healed? Likewise, our faith will be put to the test. You know, sometimes we ask in faith for something, but it never came. For a month, for a year, for years. The delay makes us wonder if our faith is in vain. Or we ask for something not to happen. And it happened. Now, we hope against hope that a job will not be lost, a loved one will not die, or marriage will not break up. 
but it happened. And we're devastated. So disappointment and delay and bad news can crush us. But as we see in this story, delay and disappointment are all part of God's plan. And Jesus knows what he's doing. He is never in a hurry. His timing is perfect. And nothing goes out of control. Nothing catches him by surprise. So he said to Jairus, do not be afraid. Just believe. Now Jesus must have felt Jairus' heart sink at the bad news. He must have seen how Jairus' faith was shaken. But the words that Jesus said to Jairus better translated, keep on believing. Not just believe, but keep on believing. Jesus was not asking Jairus to have faith because Jairus did have faith when he came to Jesus. But to keep that faith he already had. Now that's also a hard thing to do, isn't it? Not just to believe, but to keep on believing. We've seen the invitation by Jairus, the interruption by woman. Let us now move on and look at the intervention by Jesus. Now we call this an intervention because almost everybody thought it was over. Jairus' daughter had died, so the episode is over. Here is when Jesus intervened. He continued towards Jairus' house. And there he met a crowd of mourners. Now the scene must have been quite dramatic and chaotic. We are told that there was weeping and wailing, and Matthew in his gospel tells us there were musicians there. Now musicians was common at funerals, just like it was the case with uh, Chinese funerals. So, you know, even professional mourners at one time was hired at Chinese funerals. So it must have been quite a sight, weeping and wailing, people crying and mourning. Now it is strange that these mourners and musicians were there at such short notice. Perhaps the family had not expected the daughter to recover and made these arrangements. When Jesus reached the house, the whole atmosphere was that of grief and despair. I still remember many years ago when I was in India, I remember one night as I was getting ready for bed, I heard a piercing scream uh, from a house just across the road followed by loud wailing. It came from somewhere nearby. I asked my host, what's happening? And he said, someone just died. And then after that, the crying continued through the week, wailing and weeping. And I felt such sadness that I could not sleep. Now Jesus must have met uh, such an atmosphere when he came to Jairus' home. Then Jesus says something that caught everyone by surprise. He says, why make such a commotion? Why weep? The child has not died. She's just sleeping. Now we read that the mourners laughed Jesus to scorn. It was a cynical laugh. We know these mourners must be professionals because only professional mourners can cry one moment and laugh the other moment. And like the disciples earlier, and also like the messengers of Jairus, these mourners underestimated Jesus. They thought he didn't know what he was saying. They thought he was making a joke. And if it's a joke, it's in bad taste. He thought he was giving hope, but false hope to the family. Note that everything Jesus said and did did not make sense to the people around him. Remember when he said, who touched me? The disciple thought he was silly. Here he said, the girl is not dead for asleep. The mourners thought he was crazy. When he stopped to help the woman, 
we wonder if he was wasting precious time. And we continue to proceed to Jerusalem after the news that the girl had died, we wonder what else could be done. You see, few people really knew Jesus for who he was. Even today, few people know Jesus for who he is. Who is Jesus? What does he say the things he does? He says. And what does he do the things that he does? Let's look at Jesus' intervention at Jairus' home. First, he asked everyone to leave. There must be quite a big crowd in the house. He asked everyone to leave the home and he allowed only the father, the mother, and his three disciples, according to the Gospel of Luke, Peter, John, and James. So there were six of them in the room with the little girl. Jesus took the girl by her hand and said, in Aramaic, Talithaku, which means little girl, wake up. Now Peter was an eyewitness to this event and probably he was one who told Mark, the gospel writer, the exact words that Jesus used. These words were so memorable that Mark decided to retain them in the native language and translated it for the non-Jewish readers. Now these words, Talithakum, have a touch of tenderness to them. They were likely the words that the mother used to wake up her daughter in the morning. You know how we wake up, little children, little girl, wake up, time to get up, come on you sleepy head. You know, though in the eyes of everyone else the girl had died, in Jesus' eyes, she had merely fallen into deep sleep. Now this metaphor would be used later by Christians to describe death. Even today we speak of someone falling asleep rather than dying. And the metaphor is, comfort, is a comforting one because sleep is transitional. We sleep and wake up. See, death is not a dead end. A little girl fell asleep and she would wake up again. And so we have hoped that all who died in Christ, believing in Jesus, they are only asleep because one day they will be awakened and we will meet them again. Note here also Jesus' thoughtfulness and restraint. First, he used words which the little girl would understand, her native tongue, words familiar to her, words familiar to her mother each morning, used to wake up. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus raised her to life with just two words, just two words. No dramatic waving of hands, shouting or chanting. Here we see the power of Jesus and also the love of Jesus. Powerful words, but tender words. Secondly, Jesus asked for food to be given to the girl when she came back to life. We do not know how long she had been sick and how long she had been lying in a bed, but we know that when we recover from, from uh, sickness, you know, one of the things that comes back to us is our appetite. You know? When we recover every time we know that we have recovered from sickness. The girl must be feeling terribly hungry. Interestingly, neither the parents nor the disciples thought of this, but Jesus. So we are sure that our Lord is concerned also for our stomach. We read that the girl got up and she started walking, and I can imagine her walking towards the kitchen. She was hungry and needed something to eat. So Jesus spoke two words to raise the girl. Jesus asked food to be given to the girl. And finally, Jesus gave instructions to the few of them in the room not to tell anyone. Well, that's impossible, isn't it? After witnessing such an amazing miracle, how could anyone keep silent? 
Was Jesus asking for the impossible? And I believe what Jesus meant here is not to make a big fuss about it. You know, if something like that were to happen today, we would call in the newspapers, you know, the TV station, interview the family, splash the news over the front page of the newspapers, you know, post it on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to be watched all over the world. Now, what Jesus is saying to the parents and to the disciples is this. Let's keep quiet about this. Let the people find out, but let's not make a fuss. Now, I can imagine Jesus walking out of the house without a word to any of the mourners or the messengers. He did not turn to them and look at them and say, There, I told you I could do it. None of them. He said there's triumph in the story, but that's not triumphalism. Triumph is when we win a victory. But triumphalism is when we make a fuss of winning a victory. When we look at Jesus, the way he exercised his lordship over disease and death, we see no fuss, only quiet, lowly service. And for this reason, we should be uncomfortable with mass healing crusades, especially when attention is drawn to the evangelists and accounts of dramatic healings. Such high-level publicity may appeal to some people, but it does not seem consistent with the way Jesus healed people. Now, this is especially so when the event is televised and the cameras picked up every detail and the crowds clapping and cheering. This is triumphalism in its extreme form. Let me close with a few thoughts as we acknowledge Jesus as Lord over disease and death. Firstly, Jesus, as Jesus healed, in his time, we believe God still heals. God does heal. And he still heals today. Even in mass healing meetings, there are people who are genuinely healed, even though I do not know to what extent and in what percentage. But I know of people who have been healed by faith and prayer, even when the doctors have given up hope. So God does heal. Secondly, God does heal, but he does not always choose to heal. I also know of people who have, pray who have prayed for healing and they passed away. We have prayed for them, and they have not been healed. One of them is my nephew, the son of a younger brother who died before his second birthday. The whole church prayed for him, prayed for the baby who was born with a congenital heart condition. But God answered our prayer by taking him home to himself. And I like what my brother said when his son died. He said, we prayed for God to give him a new heart, but now God has given him a new body. Thirdly, healing is not just for the body, but for the whole person. The woman was healed not just of her blood disorder, but of her guilt and shame, her sense of rejection and despair. You see, in a final analysis, it is not healing that we want. It is the Lord who heals. If, like the woman, we come out into the open and acknowledge our need, he will call us son or daughter, and we'll be part of the family. That's healing in the truest sense, when we know that our sins are forgiven, that our status is that of a child of God, and our place is with the Lord forever. Finally, we can by faith expect God to heal, but we cannot demand God to heal us. As we saw in our passage, passage today, Jesus knew what he was doing, although the people around him did not. We do not always understand God's will, but God knows what he's doing. And what he does is always good and perfect. We may not comprehend it now, but one day we will. So we come back to what I said at the beginning. Life is full of interruptions. 
what we want is interrupted by something else, what we don't want. Now, our plans are shelved, our expectations are not met, our schedules are delayed. Isn't that what we are now facing now? In the midst of this global pandemic, and all the more we need to look to Jesus, the Lord. He's Lord over storms. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over disease. He's Lord over death. He's in full control. Nothing surprises Him. In these strange and uncertain times, we need to hear the words of Jesus to the woman. Go in peace. And we need to hear the words of Jesus to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing us when we call upon you. You responded to Jairus when he said, please come. You responded to the woman who touched you and called her daughter. So today we call out to you, please come. Please come to our homes where we are under lockdown. Please come to our nation. Bring hope in the midst of uncertainty. Give faith in the midst of doubt and fear. Bring life, Lord Jesus. We reach out to touch you. Not like the crowd pressing upon you, but like the woman with a touch of faith, with a sense of need, believing that you will heal. We pray for those who are sick, especially those who are stricken by the coronavirus, the ones in the ICU, the ones in the hospital, the ones in the community facilities. Heal them, Lord, we ask you, and grant them recovery and discharge, a reunion with their family and friends. And we pray for ourselves, those of us who are not well, in body and in spirit, we come out of our darkness into your light, out of our shame into your love. We want to hear from you those words, daughter, son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Thank you for hearing us. Jesus, our Lord, Lord of disease and death. Amen. <laughs>